lifestyle matters, it's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Faisal. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I think uh, we were... Let's talk about surprises yeah. that have happened yeah. already. You know, and it, it, we're going to uh, we're going to do a segment um, uh, and go into some depth about uh, the various problems that were created by the surprises. But you know what's interesting is when we think about uh, markets, it's often important to go back and do a post mortem because when we look back in time, you look back with hindsight, and everything seems obvious, right? So I think it's important that we step back in time. We start at the beginning of 2022, and we analyze what was different versus what we thought, right? And there's something to be gained from that because it's about positioning from that point. We've got a cool show today. We're going to talk a little bit about surprises, right? How to profit and protect uh, as we move into 2023 based on what those surprises were. January, February are the times where people start looking at their statements, their portfolios, start thinking about, okay, I'm entering in retirement or I'm going to uh, come go to retirement shortly. And how's my portfolio doing? Uh, do I need a second opinion? Yep. Do I look at my, am I doing it right? Yep. That's the concern. Am I doing it right? Um, and uh, I think this is a point in time where people uh, are finding that the surprises are harder to tolerate when the surprises are to the downside. Uh, well, for sure, um, for sure, uh, because people have changed and they've changed in, in where they are in their life, right? This, this retirement life. And that, that's an important consideration. So some of the forecasts that we've been hearing about for 2023. Yeah. Interest rates are going to drop towards the end of the year. We're going to get into a recession this year. All these predictions. Um, I find it very interesting is that people are more focused on a prediction than they are on the data. So explain that. So if you watch any major media outlet mm -hmm. when it talks to business news, the conversation that comes up with, here is the information I have today, and here's what my prediction is going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when you start looking at predictions, people start reacting to the prediction, not the data. Because the data is the input of information that you know to be fact. Right. The, the assumption or where you're predicting, that is a guess. Okay. And what I find that people focus on is just what is going to be the guess? So what's going to happen this year? Right. And we're going to have a guest on the show that we're going to ask that same question. Yeah. What's your expectation of 2023? Yeah. And where do you think things are going? Which is a great out, out, uh, question to ask. But I think there needs to be a little bit more that people do when they look at their portfolios. Is, is that the only outcome possible? The prediction that they have in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I see where you're going with that. I think that's really interesting. Predictions are important because you need a thesis of what, where we are, what we're doing, and so on and so forth. It's an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, the data confirms or not that over time, right? And because of the uncertainty, the gap between those two things, that's where we get volatility. And so, you know, the wider the variance on the predictions in the future, the more volatility you'd expect to get. And that's what we're experiencing. Yeah. Let's take a look at what happened this week in the markets. Uh, companies have started to disclose their earnings, their fourth quarter earnings. Let's focus on uh, the banks on Friday, as an example. Um, the market saw the numbers, mm -hmm. the fact, and they didn't react to the fact. They reacted to what the expectation of those financial institutions are in the future. In the future, yeah. And so mm -hmm. a lot of volatility intraday within just those companies alone. And I'm talking about the U.S. banks. That, yep. that, and that happens now because we're going to get these quarterly earnings coming out this month, a little bit next month as well. 
it's the forward guidance that's going to take a lot of the, the spotlight. Right. And if the forward guidance isn't something that the analyst likes to hear or the investor or the trader, you're going to start to see more volatility. And so, again, forward guidance is just what you think's going to happen. It's a prediction, as you said. Right? Now, there's some data you work with when you're yep. running a business, yep. but you don't know if that's really going to happen. So when you build a portfolio, it's not just what you think's going to happen only. You could be right and things uh, are, are exactly the way it is. You could be wrong, but you could be wrong and things could be better. Right. You could be wrong and things could be worse. Now you got to kind of weigh that out. And we talk about this time and time again with our clients on the show, with our team, that there's multiple views of what could happen, out, uh, outcomes. Right. And I think what we're going to start to see, we saw a bit of it this week, we're going to see more and more over the next few weeks, is we're going to see still that volatility continue because people are looking at the forward guidance more than they're looking at the fact. Well, yeah. And they'll be very sensitive to it because of the wide variance, right? I mean, you and I discuss all the time uh, in the, uh, the research that we read, there are very, very divergent views about what's going to happen, right? Is inflation, do we have a trend where inflation is coming down? Some will say yes, some will say no. We certainly have data to indicate that, but is that enough data to form a trend? And whether it's a trend for you and me, secondary to the fact that we think it's a trend for the central banks. Correct. Because central bank action, right, is going to form a big part of what happens. And we simply don't know. The, the central banks don't know where they're necessarily going to stop because they haven't got all the data, right? And so this is, the, this is the choppiness we talk about. Now, we would expect, I think, throughout the course of this year that we'll get some more clarity. That's why people keep talking about the second half of the year. We'd likely get some clarity about what the inflation trend is and where central banks are going to stop, right? We don't know if they're going to cut or not. We'll have a conversation with our next guest a, a little bit about that. So there's still, there's still going to be uncertainty through that period of time. So to your point, um, it's very dangerous to assume there is only one outcome. Mm -hmm. Very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and emotion drives those dangerous choices. Yeah. Headlines drive those dangerous choices. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about this often, but you got to avoid that. And so let's talk about <clears throat> what happened in our portfolio this week. We made some changes. Yes. Um, and I think it's important to talk about because we're looking for not only the fact, but looking for the opportunity within the fact. That's right. Okay. Fact is international markets are cheaper on a valuation basis than domestic markets, U.S., Canada. Okay. Fact. We started to Increasing Increase our exposure internationally. Yeah. Fact is bonds are more attractive on an interest rate in the short term than they have been in the last five years. Mm -hmm. Add to bonds. We added to bonds. Fact is the U.S. market has a, has a higher risk on valuation and earnings growth when it comes to high growth companies like the tech companies. Because so, their valuations are higher. Correct. Right? Yeah. So we paired back on that. Right. Um, and we were already low weight in that area in 2022. We reduced our weight exposure to technology yep. and high high growth. Think of NASDAQ. I'm not saying only NASDAQ, yep. Yep. but think of that. High multiples. Yep. We The high multiples have been con 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 contracting. And we also know, in fact, over every historic recession and interest rate increase, small, medium-sized companies, primarily in the U.S., rebound the fastest and give you the biggest upside potential. 
or one of the biggest upside potential. These are facts. These are not guesses. So this week, we made quite a bit of movement in our portfolio based on the facts. Now, the weights that we put into each of the portfolio or each of the individual asset categories is based on a bunch of assumptions. Right. And it could be better or worse than what we expect, but we're able to be nimble enough to adjust. You've got to adjust. That's right. Exactly. So I think when we look at how do you build your strategy for 2023 or as you move forward, what we're going to hear from our peers in the industry is hang in there, ride the wave, things will be okay. That's it. No major adjustments. No, no looking at here's the opportunity. They have one thesis. Here's what you need to buy, and over the long term, you'll be fine. But we know as you go through retirement, the risk goes up if you just wait for the entire business cycle to go through its regular duration, which could be seven to 10 years. And Faisal, add to that, part of the equation is always the art side, the peop- how people feel. Yeah. And I don't want to diminish the, the experience people have. We have, to, we have to invest based on facts, data, Right and and the thesis and tolerance of risk and tolerance of risk and, and part of that is how is how people sleep and the fact that people as they move into retirement they get more sensitive Correct. they're more sensitive than when they were 35 years old and so that's part of the equation as well you know last year the tail of the tape is in most asset classes had a difficult time last year uh, we got to talk a little bit about um, how the year shaped up relative to what we expected at the beginning of the year? Because there were some big surprises last year. And I think when we put this into context, what frustrates most investors is they have an expectation that's what's going to happen throughout the year. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. materialize, they're, they're disappointed. Um, and you start to see reactions based on that, either exiting out of the markets, not investing, selling at bad times, not protecting yourself for these, these, uh, these kind of issues regardless if it's an outlier or a black swan position or if it's stuff that you can actually see in the data. And I think yeah. that's what that's what happened. So we're gonna, it's January again. People are going to have certain expectations of what's going to happen this year. And if it materializes or not, we'll determine on how, how you react to your portfolio. So I think we need to talk to some of our experts that we work closely with uh, to see what their expectations were last year where some things surprised them yeah. and what the opportunities are for this year. And we can learn, we're, we're gonna bring on Andrew McCreeth in just a second, but we can learn from a, a review of last year because when we look in hindsight, everything's obvious. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah. But that's why I think it's important you go back to the beginning of the year, what was the expectation? What changed during that year to understand what the impacts were? Because if we understand those impacts, then we can look in, you know, in the next segment, we can look forward to how do we take advantage of this? What are the opportunities and where do we need to protect? Andrew McCreeth is the CEO and the CIO of Forge First Asset Management, um, a regular recurring guest. Andrew, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, gentlemen, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, let's let's kick it off right off the bat. I think we gave you a bit of a setup there. We're interested in taking you back a year uh, a year from now, uh, back in time. What did you think 2022 was going to look like? Well, I was of the view that there had been enough liquidity floating around the system that stocks were actually going to be okay, and I say okay, I don't mean great, I say okay, uh, during the first part of the year, but as the year progressed, the U.S. was going to begin to move towards a recession, and that was going to cause a challenge for markets, and that combined with rising interest rates, uh, equities were going to you know, end the year either side of flat, as opposed to most forecasts that I read going into 22 suggested it was going to be another really good year for stocks. So when I look back a year from today, 
as to my predictions for 2022. Um, you know, directionally, I was correct in that the economy was going to start to weaken. It wasn't going to be a good year for stocks and interest rates were going to go up. But I was obviously wrong on, you know, how bad a year it tended to be for most stocks other than energy stocks, which obviously ripped hard to the upside during the front half of the year and had a tougher back half of the year. But the reason for that spread, shall we say, versus you know my view of thinking, hey, it's just going to be like a so-so okay year and it being a tough year, was because after I wrote that monthly commentary a year ago um, you know, on my website, forgefirst.com, the biggest surprises of the year then occurred right after that writing. First and foremost, you had Chairman Powell do a 180 with respect to his view on monetary policy. He had lost all credibility with the investment community during 2021 because he kept saying that inflation was going to be transient. It was just going to go away. And then in mid-January 22, he did a 180 and he went hardcore hawkish. That was a big surprise. And then, of course, two, year, two weeks later, you had Russia invading Ukraine. That was a huge surprise. Those were the two biggest surprises for 22, gentlemen. I would say the last surprise is my view that most market observers still just don't get the fact that in the fall of 2021, we reached an inflection point for the macro environment for financial assets. We hit a regime change where monetary policy was going from being accommodative, printing money, to actually shrinking liquidity. Uh, and fiscal policy also changed because there was lots of largesse. And now that's going the other way too. So I think we've entered a period where returns are going to be tougher, risk is going to be higher, financial advice is needed, and I don't think the investment community has fully accepted that. Those would be my three surprises from 2022, Faisal and David. Yeah, Andrew, I would actually agree with you with that because when we go further in from when the, the beginning of the year when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, it was maybe a couple of months in, you heard a whole bunch of reports from all these geopolitical experts saying, oh, it's gonna be a few months issue. It'll be done by the summer. It'll be done by the fall. Mm -hmm. And now we're in the new mm -hmm. year. It's still going on. When we talked about inflation, it's, it's you know, temporary. There's a, it's a transitionary period. It's not gonna be sticky. You know, that changed in the forecast of many financial observers out there. And the regime change. Oh, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna cut interest rates. Even the market today is saying the, the same thing. We saw that it was like, a resistance to accept what's in front of us. And so given that last year, there were some adjustments that had to be made in people's portfolios. You did a great job in 2022 in preserving capital, growth in some areas. What was the thing that you did in 2022 that made you say, you know what, we better protect more than try to profit at this point? And how did you do it? Well, I've had the good fortune of, of working with your team for, for several years. Um, I know you did a lot of due diligence on me, um, perhaps to my frustration before we started to do business together. But bottom line is um, uh, you did a lot of due diligence on me. And of course, I'm very thankful for the business that we do together. 
Um, and you guys know that my methodology for managing client capital is to, to keep it simple, stick to your knitting and have a very disciplined approach to managing client capital. So the way we manage client capital at Forge First is we are involved in large, liquid, uh, North American stocks as opposed to small caps and speculative securities and all that stuff. In addition to that, we also have a diversified short book. We always have that and we use options, put options to, to hedge systemic risk. So entering 2022, we reduced our what's called net exposure to the marketplace, meaning we increased our put option positions, we reduced our exposure to financial markets, and we hedged our book a lot more. And so our conservative alternative fund, not only did it make just shy of 2% net last year, offering now a three-year compound return of about 9.4% net after fees uh, at one-third the volatility of the market, it also missed each of the seven drawdowns that the market experienced during 2022. And the recipe for delivering that type of sleep at night performance was the disciplined approach of always having a short book, using listed index put options to hedge systemic risk. We believe that, you know, that is always going to be a part of what we do. Sometimes we're going to have more of it versus less of it. Right now, we've got a little less of it, but still a lot of it, because we believe that we are going to see earnings estimates go down for North American public companies as they release their fourth quarter results. I mean, look at what the big U.S. banks said on Friday. Um, their fourth quarter results were fine, but frankly, they all reduced their outlook for the financial results in 2023. So the market's trading at, call it 17, 17 and a half times forward earnings um, for the S&P 500. You cut estimates by, say, 5%. That puts it up to 18 times forward earnings, which is not a cheap stock market, especially if interest rates are going to be, you know, pick a number, guys. 3% or 3.5% for a 10-year bond versus 1%, which we're not getting to. Um, and especially if service inflation stays sticky and the Fed doesn't cut interest rates in the back half of the year, like the market is saying the Fed is going to do based on the pricing of bonds right now today. So we think it's going to be you know a choppy year again, although when we come out of 23, we would expect markets to end the year with a positive return to investors for all of 2023. But the, ro the road is going to be rocky, guys. So it's interesting always to look back in time. And 2020's hind hindsight is, is clear, right? Um, but when you break it down, there's a lot that changed. Now, here we are at 2023, and there's some risks, but there's also some opportunities. And, and Andrew had started to outline what you know some of that positioning is looking like. I think we should go back to that and dig in on where some of the opportunities uh, may lay, given some of the damage that was done because of the surprises last year. So we've been joined, or we are joined by Andrew McCree, C, uh, the CEO and the CIO of, of Forge First Asset Management. Andrew, thanks for sticking around. You did a good job in the last segment of giving us some ideas of where we're coming into 2023. Maybe start there and give us a sense of where you see the positioning. Likely the year is choppy, as you said, where are the opportunities and where are the risks? Where do people need to protect? 
Well, thanks, gentlemen. Um, first and foremost, I do believe it's going to continue to be choppy. Um, you know, investors, I said it in our, in our last segment how my third surprise for 2022 was how investors have yet to admit that we have actually undergone a macro regime change. You know, after 14 years of printing money, now we're no longer going to be printing money. We're actually going to see liquidity shrink. Uh, based on the guidance of the Central Bank of the United States, uh, they expect to take out 1.2 trillion U.S. dollars out of the system during 23 and another 1.2 trillion U.S. dollars out of the system in 24 because they have stated they want to shrink their balance sheet by $3 trillion between uh, 22 and 24 and they only shrank it by $400 billion last year. So you take liquidity out of the system, we both know that that tends to make it a little more challenging um, for asset prices to go higher. And then you got to look at the economy. And there's little question that, you know, Europe has got a lot of problems. China is not going to be the engine that it used to be for the global economy. And the savings rate in the United States is 2.4%, 2.4%, um, the lowest since 2005. So economic growth is going to be kind of sloppy. Um, okay, that's fine. What about inflation? Well, you know, I think inflation is going to be stickier for longer. You're going to see uh, the price of goods drop a lot because of the changes in the supply and demand that have occurred over the last six to 12 months, be it supply chain, uh, be it consumers having less money to spend. Um, I mean, look at the news late last week that, you know, Tesla was cutting the price of its cars by 20%. They're trying to sell product. So prices of goods are coming down a lot. I think service pricing is going to be more sticky. And so the big variable that's going to drive the tape in 23 is whether or not the market is right that the Fed's going to cut interest rates in the back half of this year or, like I'm thinking, they're not going to. And if the Fed doesn't cut interest rates in the back half of the year, that's going to make it particularly challenging for stocks and bonds at points in time during this year, likely around the middle of this year. But of course, if you're properly positioned, you know, with, you know, the sage advice of, you know, guys like you, and I can say that because I've had the good fortune of working with you for several years, and I'm well aware that you don't look uh, at your client base as all being the same. You know, Fred's different from Mary versus different from John versus from Allison. And, you know, I know from, you know, having beers with you guys that you, you think of every client's needs and desires and goals as different and you construct the portfolios appropriately so so um risk and challenges uh creates opportunities because you're typically positioned appropriately ahead of those challenges because the best way to make money is not to lose money but then as we see lower earnings get priced into the marketplace and stocks move a little lower we see opportunities in what you call garp stocks growth at reasonable price in other words, companies that offer, call it low double digit growth rates in earnings and cash flow, regardless of the economic cycle, and that trade at appropriately multiples uh, valuations. We like the rails a lot. We like CP and CN rail. We own both companies because we believe both companies can continue to compound earnings and cash flow in the low to mid double digits. 
we also like what's called credit spreads. Um, once we see a peak in uh, central banks hiking interest rates, probably this springtime, uh, we believe that buying investment grade bonds um, will be a very attractive opportunity. Now, our conservative alternative fund at Forge First, which you know made 2% last year and has a compound three-year return of 9.4% net of all fees, um, has been increasing its allocation to credit spreads. And we believe that that fund, which is currently about 12% net long common equities, after being as much as 20% net short common equities last year, and is currently long about, call it 11, 12% to credit, uh, is likely to double each of those numbers prudently as we work through the choppiness of 23. Um, and so we see an opportunity for the conservative alternative fund to shift from defense to offense as this year evolves. But we're not going to do it all at once because we do believe that there's some choppiness uh, over the next little while, gentlemen. And I think that's that's going to be the, the opportunity there. When you talk about growth at a reasonable price, Andrew, and you mention a few names, uh, what I keep on reading about is that we're now shifting away from the old regime of let's go into tech and high growth and the reasonable priced growth companies are what we would call the consistent economy stocks. You mentioned railways. Are there other sectors that you see as opportunities going into it? You've talked about bonds, of course, and credit quality of that. That's definitely going to be an opportunity. But what about in the sectors? What sectors are you seeing as opportunities for 2023? Well, I just want to set up ahead of answering your question, Faisal, has to do with the valuation of the market. I mentioned earlier during our conversation that the S&P 500 is trading at around 17 times four, 17.4 times forward 12 month earnings estimates. That's not cheap. And once we start to see, say, another 5% haircut to earnings estimates for 2023, that's probably 18 times earnings. So I do understand how whenever multi, uh, markets do bottom around a recession, which clearly is coming, the question whether it's soft versus hard, um, that there may be multiple expansion opportunities ahead of earnings being revised higher when we're coming out the other side of that recession. But when you're starting at 18 times, there's not a lot of upside, especially if interest rates are going to be you know, structurally higher over the medium term because there's this change in the supply and demand of bonds, which I certainly believe there is ever since the fall of 21. And we saw that macro regime change. So that's a long winded way of saying I don't believe that the uh, the return potential for financial assets is particularly strong over the next couple of years because growth is going to be low, earnings estimates are going to be you know challenging, and the the valuation of financial assets is already pretty high. And oh by the way, real estate pricing, with the exception of Alberta, because of what's going on in the energy patch, um, is going to continue to be challenging during 23. Um, as you know, gentlemen, I after spending my life in Toronto, I moved to Calgary nine months ago, and I'm a very happy Calgarian, and I own a Flames jersey, I might add. And so um, it's going to be a little different up here, but I know in Toronto, real estate prices are, real estate prices are down 25%, and they're going to go down more during 23. So let's get to the, your, your question. Uh, we believe that there's opportunities in energy transition stocks in the United States, uh, we like Carrier Global, C-A-R-R. -R. Um, that's a company we like a lot. 
Um, we sold Quanta Services, ticker PWR, in, de in December of last year because the stock reached a, you know, a, a new all-time high after a good run. We would like to buy that stock at a point in time. Um, and so we like uh, industrial stocks uh, that represent plays on energy transition that play into the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which of course was fiscal policy that President Biden put in place last year. Three, yes, we do like oil stocks. Um, you know, we like uh, high quality liquid companies like Canadian Natural Resources. Uh, we continue to like tourmaline. It's not as cheap as it used to be, but it's a best of class company with arguably amongst the best chief executives in the uh, Canadian uh, marketplace. And that's of course, Mike Rose. So um, cyclical industrials in the energy transition space, selected large cap, high quality, clean balance sheet uh, energy companies um, would be a couple of other areas we like, Faisal. Andrew, thank you very much. We've run out of time. We're gonna have to wrap it up on that. Always a pleasure. Uh, great economic insights, some good names there. Uh, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Happy New Year and have a great one. Thanks, buddy. Uh, we've been joined by Andrew McCreet, CEO, CIO of Forge First Asset Management. Is having a financial advisor right for retirement? Is, mm. that, the per is that person right for your retirement? Mm. I think it's Lots a, of people asking that question. Yeah, I think, I think right now, when people get their statements for 2022, when people are looking at where things are headed for them in their future, um, with all the risks that are in front of them, and there's a lot of fear and concern, um, people are starting to ask the question, is my advisor the right advisor for my retirement? Right. So my answer to that question is it should never be an advisor. That's the nuance of the question. I agree with you. Okay, and I think I think what we need to understand that the complexity right. of going into retirement is one of the most difficult and vulnerable times in a person's financial life. Because they have multiple things they're trying to achieve now. So you, that, that one comment you made, multiple things or objectives, objectives they want goals. to achieve. Okay. Yeah. So let me, let me paint the picture of this. Let's say you are going through um, a medical, you, you wanna basically have a full view of that you're gonna be healthy or, or a healthier over the next five years. Mm -hmm. Okay, both you and I go to our doctor, mm -hmm. we get a physical. Yep. Okay, um, who's involved with just that, we'll call it the physical uh, that you get at a doctor, similar to a financial plan, okay? Who does that? Mm -hmm. Is it just the doctor? No. No. Nurse is involved. There's labs nurse, involved. The labs involved. Yep. Specialists will get involved. Yep. If you're doing full testing of your of scans of your body, those experts yep. are involved. You've got experts in different areas or specialists in different areas working under the same umbrella for you, for your health plan for the next five years. Right. So every year I sit down with my doctor and I sit down with her and I say, okay, Let's, let's build the plan yep. and let's carry on from what we were doing in previous years. So I, am I moving in the right direction? Am I ready to protect myself? Am I ready to 
you know, as I get older, and you you give me the warning because you're way older than I am. <laughs> Look into your future, fellow. Yeah, you know the you tell me that all the time. That's hey, but but listen, it doesn't just stop with the medical professional. You said you take it out to nutritionists. You take it out to workout 100%. professionals. Like it, it, it starts to expand pretty quick. Your team of professionals that you're working with, right. experts, right. become bigger when it comes to your health. Why is that not given the same courtesy and respect or appreciation when it comes to your financial matters? Right. Okay, so here's what happens typically. In the, in the financial world, I need to retire. I'm going to go retire. I'm going to work with an individual. An advisor. Yeah. An advisor. Yeah. They say they do retirement. They say they talk about retirement. They say they... Okay, so is that individual able to do everything? So you're asking the question, if we go back to medical, I go to my GP. Start there. Okay. My GP identifies that I have a issue with a joint, a knee or an elbow or something. It would be your knees for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, they refer me to a specialist. So they have a specialist on their team to look at that. Yep. Right. If I've got a heart issue, okay, the knee guy's not looking at that. I need another person on the team. 100%. Right. If I need to get lab work done on that, it's neither of those people. Right. It's a lab tech that's doing that. So it... it there and if any roles. problems come up, there's even more specialists. Right, it just keeps going, right? right? So let's let's pick that a parallel to uh, to the your retirement. You just can't have an an individual advisor that That's can do all that. I agree. So there are four major issues that come up. I need income to live the rest of my life. I need to grow my wealth. Yep. Because I want to offset inflation. I want it to grow. Yep. I want to make sure that I'm going to have a health issue potentially. I want to make sure I've got finances in place for that. I've got the type of care in place with that. Uh, when I pass, I want to make sure that whoever my loved ones are left behind that are taken care of, that there's no ma major tax issues. There's all and these you're not burning people. Uh, there's all these right. different things that come up. That's right. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of things as I enter into retirement that I never even thought about. Right. So I'm going to go to one person right. who may have an assistant. And that's the solution. Right. There's a reason why, Dave, when you and I built this business, we're at a point right now where we have 17 members on our team. And every single member on our team has specific roles and responsibilities, and they specialize in areas to help our clients. Yep. The why we do this is to make sure that people's lifestyle never retires. But there's more than that than just a financial calculation and a portfolio. Correct. And unfortunately, we have a common denominator in, in our world. It's just the portfolio. Right. So which portfolio is going to do better is going to be better for me. Um, no. Right. Because you're missing simple. out everything else. It's not that simple. That's like saying, whichever doctor can give me the fastest prescription, I'll take that doctor. Right. That's really what's being said. Right. Yeah, now, I'm, going to go to the, I'm going to go to the heart surgeon to get my knee fixed because I can get in there first. Correct. Not a good idea. So why do we settle for an advisor versus a team of specialists working together to meet your retirement goals and objectives throughout your life. Right. And, and so we're, I, I want to challenge people that are thinking about this is, is you grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment as you were accumulating wealth that was relatively simple, right? When you were growing, like when you were 35 and 40, you just wanted things to get bigger. You just, yeah. you could have had a singular focus. That was it. That Correct. is not the case when you get to retirement and you have these multiple and often competing or mutually exclusive objectives. Let's talk about the competing goals for a second here, because what people don't realize is all they hear about is, as long as I just grow my portfolio, everything will work out. Right. Okay. So you're growing your portfolio, getting cash flow. Let's say it's from dividends or 
some sort of interest so, or yep. whatever. That's yep. all you're getting. Okay. So you're getting your income and you're growing. That's it. I'm good. Well, what about forecasting healthcare costs in the future? What about the political issues that will impact the healthcare costs? Former finance minister for, for the federal government has a 327-page book out on the 17th of January. And in there, he talks about our healthcare system being a disaster. Right. Now, I'm paraphrasing by saying disaster. He didn't use those words. <laughs> right. Uh, but it, but he's not saying it's easy. Right. He's saying it's a big problem. Especially with an aging demographic. And that government hasn't solved that problem. Right. Do we think the government's going to solve that problem when well, next year? Five years from now? Ten years from now? Do you remember we used to have the health minister on each... Or sorry, the... Uh, we had CMA. The CMA, yeah. Health minister. Oh, my goodness. We've had... We've had Critics, right, all in our show over the past thirteen years, and we're still investigating. We we're still doing research. Bringing them on because it's we've got a committee looking into it. It's that's all we ever got. That's it. And so yes, we can. Uh, so based on that, we've taken a biased view. Mm-hmm. There is going to be healthcare services available in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not going to be on the on the government's back. It's going to be on the, on the individual consumer's back. How is your retirement funds going to protect you for that? Right. And the quality of care that you want. I have a relative in a long-term care facility, assisted care, sorry, assisted care. She was, she was told, we'll give you one bath a week. That's the Alberta Health Program. Yep. You want more, you pay for it. What? That's our program today. Right. You think it's going to get better? Right. So there's a lot more concern. There's a lot more uh, issues than just grow my portfolio. Whoever can grow it the best wins my, wins my account. I can deal with the rest because there. I'm telling you, there's a lot more issues. You need a team of specialists for your healthcare. You need a team that works with you, a team of specialists for your retirement. retirement. That's right. If you can take anything away for 2023, that's what you take away. Yeah, it is not a. It's not a one person knows everything situation. It's impossible to do it. And that's why at our seminars that we host every single month, we talk about the biggest issues. We talk about how to solve those biggest problems, those risks in retirement. We have great question and answers after the program to talk about everybody else's questions, concerns yeah, yeah. that they have. We address it all. And we do that every single month so we can educate, inform, and motivate individuals as they go through this scariest point in their life called retirement. That's right. And we're going to do that again on Tuesday, January 24th, 7 p.m. in person at the Silver Springs Golf and Country Club. Now, you need to reserve your seats, so you have to register. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, so any of the past segments, including this segment, will be posted at morethanmoneyradio.com. Feel free to go there and view any of those. On behalf of Faisal, myself, Dave, I want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on QR Calgary. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.